Hi, everybody. Andrew Bray here, your sound designer and also the son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. And we're here talking with her about a conversation she's had with Barry Summer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Andrew. It's great to be here with you today. <laughs> it's good to be here with you, too. <laughs> yes, I'm excited about uh, talking about Barry and talking with Barry. He's just an amazing person. When I found out about Lindsay Unified, I didn't realize a lot of it was because of the work he did. Mm. He's mm. just well, wait. What are, just to give me a give me and everybody a little sneak preview. Well, Lindsay uh, Unified is in the Central Valley, and Lindsay started personalizing learning before I did long mm. ago, and mm. they were doing many. Um, in fact, I talked to. Uh, Tom Rooney, who was, uh, who is the superintendent, and he sent me to Barry to talk to him because Barry was one of the instrumental people to make sure this happened. Um, and what they did was not only personalized learning, they made sure kids had access at home. So we're going to be talking, I, I don't want to give everything away, but okay. he did that. And and when I talked to him, he had just gotten back from New York, and he had the virus, and he had just uh, recovered. Oh yeah, he's. I I am very blessed to know him, and I I'm very honored to have had a wonderful conversation with him. Great. Well, everybody, stay tuned for a conversation with Barbara Bray and Barry Sommer. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here today with Barry Sommer. Sommer? Oh my God, Sommer. Did I say it right? Yes, that's fine. I'll respond to anything close. Okay. <laughs> Barry, I've, I've just been so excited. We've been talking on the phone and I'm learning so much about you. I can't wait to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it myself. Thank you, Barbara. So I'm going to just tell my audience a little bit about you. Great. So Barry is the Director of Advancement at the Lindsay Unified School District. Now, let me just tell them where that is. That's in the Central Valley in Visalia, right? Correct. That's like four hours from me? Yes. Kind of right between San Francisco and Los Angeles, but also a couple hours from the coast at the foothills of the Sierra. Yeah. I go by you. I should have stopped by. <laughs> it's where we grow much of the nation's food. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, here's something that people might not know about you. You're also a licensed educational psychologist a marriage and family therapist. Actually, I should probably talk to you about some things. <laughs> That's a different podcast, Barbara. That's another one. You're also an adjunct professor at Columbia University. You, you're doing a lot. I have never been able to hold down a full-time job. I have lots of really good interests that keep me very busy. Oh, this is amazing. And then you have one big one that I we're going to talk about a lot is you're responsible for Lindsay Leeds. It's the cyber school. And this is reimagining all the wonderful things that's been happening at Lindsay Unified already. So we're going to talk a lot about that. So I always like people to tell me and, you know, the audiences a little bit about your background. Sure. So I am a native New Yorker. I was born and raised in the Bronx, New York, uh, with one older sister. So I learned very early to live in small spaces with lots of women, which would prepare me for being married <laughs> and having two birth daughters and two granddaughters. 
and oh, and a neuter you have dog. Women. Yeah, lots of women. <laughs> no men in my life. And I had the good fortune to go to uh, a magnet high school, the Bronx High School of Science, where I learned to learn. Uh, after science, I went to Cornell University, upstate New York, where I planned on being an architect. But I had a summer experience at a camp for disabled children and adolescents mm -hmm. that changed my life. And I discovered that working with people was infinitely more rewarding than inking drawings. And I went back and changed my major and got a degree, an undergraduate degree in human development and family studies and psychology. I went back to New York City and got a graduate degree in education and went in psychology, got licensed as a school psychologist, certified as an educational psychologist and licensed as a marriage and family therapist, got married to a woman I met at camp, and we moved to California because we didn't want to raise our children in New York City. And wow. started a practice, started working in schools, which I've done consistently now for 41 years. And most recently, um, the last 10 years, had the good opportunity to, to do some teaching at the graduate level, both locally and at Columbia University in New York City. Well, that is amazing. And you put everything in a nutshell. I was going to talk about all of those things, but uh, it's, oh. a, it's, a, it's okay. It's amazing when you go back and look at your life. So you grew up in the Bronx. I did. What was it like being uh, one growing up there to being a student there, a young student? Growing up in the city was a tremendous advantage. You learn to get along with people really well and everybody's really concentrated. I went to public schools and that was challenging at times. It was also during the experiments with grade level acceleration, skipping is what they called it. So oh. um, based on some standardized tests they gave you when you were a kindergartner, you could move through the system quickly. So I skipped third grade. I went from second to fourth grade, which would be a significant handicap. I never learned cursive writing, and I didn't really get introduced to uh, certain concepts in math, like multiplication and division, until I was a little older. And then I did seventh and eighth grade in one year. So I was very, very young going into high school which would be a disadvantage because I didn't weigh 100 pounds and I wasn't five feet tall. And so competing athletically was impossible. Fortunately, I had music as a keen interest and a, a good social connection with others. And I left high school really early, which would be an advantage because I was fully licensed and fully certified and ready to start my professional career um, at a very young age. So school was interesting, challenging socially. Um, I think I had really good instruction from people who cared for me, but it wasn't in any way personalized for me. It was a mass mm -hmm. system, New York City, riding buses to get to school and very different than what I wanted for my children's experience here. That's amazing. I can't imagine you were two years younger than your peers in high school. Yeah. Graduated right before my 17th birthday. So That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I especially for a young man. I mean, sometimes it's it, you're not as big at that time, <laughs> like you said. It was an experiment that failed, Barbara. We don't we don't <laughs> do that anymore. No. For really good reason. 
Oh, that's, well, also by grade level, things just get, because they only teach certain things at certain grade levels. And like you said, you didn't learn multiplication and all those things. It's very different in our current system where you can move through the content levels at a progression that's a good fit for you based on your learning, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't change your social groupings. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can understand why it was tough for you. You said something about when you went to a camp. It's where you decided to change majors. What was that? If you grew up in New York City and your parents can afford to, they send you to residential camp for eight weeks during the summer to get you out of the city. It's where oh, you wow. get to explore nature and learn to swim and do arts and crafts and music. And, and my parents didn't have that opportunity. But as soon as I was old enough, 15 at the time, I could work at a camp. And so some good friends of mine dragged me upstate to the Catskill Mountains, upstate New York, to Camp Limelight, which was 350 campers and 150 staff. It just happened that all 350 campers had significant disabilities, mostly intellectual disabilities. And it was a remarkable setting for eight weeks of connection with peers and and loving folks and my next ten, 10 summers were spent at camp where I learned to both understand disabilities and also hone my skills as a psychologist and ultimately had the opportunity to direct the camp for the last several years of my camp life. So it's where I met my wife and many of my best friends and, and shifted my career path from architecture, though I do still get to do a little landscape architecture right now. <laughs> vocationally and avocationally, but um, it really brought my attention back to people. Oh, that is amazing. So Camp Limelight? Limelight, yes. Is it still available? Unfortunately, it burnt to the ground in in the (gasps) early 80s, and that was the end of it. But it was an an amazing institution. There's a really interesting new Netflix movie called Crib Camp, which is very much about Camp Limelight, but those people all had physical disabilities. And it was about their efforts to bring people with physical disabilities into equity and the Americans with Disability Act. And so it's a it's a very compelling movie if you get the chance. Oh, I saw it on there. Yeah. We'll have to put a link to that. Yeah, so it's a strong movie. It. There's a lot of emotion attached to it, but it's a very interesting historical look at what happened. And Camp Limelight was right in that mix. Wow. So that... You said seven years you were there? Ten. Ten years? Ten, ten summers. Ten summers. So you were already in, uh, graduated from college and everything. We, the last few years we had moved to California. We were recruiting staff here in California and bringing them back to New York to work at camp. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So what was your position there? Were you said the director? I was the director of the camp, yeah. I started off as a counselor. I taught music. And then I became a unit leader and then an assistant head counselor and then the head counselor. Oh, you loved it. I loved it. And I learned a lot of leadership from some really gifted people. So it just helped drive what you wanted to do. It's amazing, though. You said you were a psychology major. I was. Yes. Human development. Yeah. Human development. But you became an educational psychologist. You know, where did you go to move into that? Great questions, Barbara. Um, I'm trying. I'm yeah, trying. Yeah, well, I know the why <laughs> is so important to you. And um, this is all a part of the foundation of my why. Uh, mm-hmm. As a junior at, at, at Cornell University, I had the opportunity to compete for a position to be a Saturday group leader with a group of school psychologists for 
young boys who were emotionally disturbed. They had behavioral problems. And uh, my camp experience left me in a really good position to compete favorably. Uh, I won the position and I spent Saturdays for two semesters working with a bunch of really gifted, young, energetic, turned on school psychologists. And I said, they love what they do. They have great jobs. They're making a difference in the world. And they have summers off. I think I'll go <laughs> do that. So I, I became a school psychologist and that brought me to my license as an educational psychologist. And that got me moving toward helping families and, and children with disabilities. And that led me to marriage and family therapists. So it was all a progression that came from that, those humble early beginnings at camp. Did you have a separate business as a family and, you know, a marriage and family therapist? Did you do that on the side or was that part of? No, still do. I have a two day a week practice. I see 20 hours of patients every week. I've done that for 40 years. Do you sleep? Um, I, I sleep really well. I'm tired at the end of the day, <laughs> but, I, but I have incredible jobs that are incredibly rewarding and satisfying and they mm. give me energy. They don't take my energy. It's amazing. So tell me about your family. You said you met your wife in the camp. Tell me a little. I met my wife, Donna, at camp. She was a counselor. I was her boss. Of course, that's changed over the years. Uh, and, <laughs> and she went to Buffalo State University where she studied education, particularly special education, uh, behavioral disorders. And um, she was very, very prescient to say, you can be a musician or we can get married. And, and I thought about it for about eight seconds and realized that a life in music was not going to be family compatible. So I, I chose psychology and we got married in 1978. So we've been married almost 42 years, had our girls young and now enjoy having two amazing granddaughters uh, Noah, who's eight, and Harlan, who's five. And they live in Portland, Oregon, a beautiful oh, spot. Oh, my son lives in Portland. Yeah, isn't that a nice place to visit? Yeah, it is. If it's not raining, it's Yeah, beautiful. yeah, I like coming home, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You, you know, there aren't too many people that can say they've been married all the, <laughs> that long and still happy. <laughs> right, yeah, happily married and, and yeah. wonderful kids. There's so many... Things that you and your whole family are, it just sounds so lovely. I feel incredibly blessed, yes. So you're an adjunct professor, adjunct professor at Columbia University. Also, even though you're in California, you're still doing work there, right? So the, the director of the negotiation and conflict resolution program was out visiting and, and caught me teaching some a class here in California and invited me to develop a class. So I have had now for 11 years, a good opportunity to teach graduate students. They're international students and they're getting a degree in peacemaking and conflict resolution from, from Columbia University. And I teach a class called intrapersonal dynamics and conflict. I, I need to take that. And I just, I just got offline with some of my learners who are all over the world. And um, it's so exciting to hear what they're doing. They're seeing the coronavirus pandemic as an opportunity to practice some of their conflict resolution skills because clearly it's bringing up some significant conflicts. Oh, 
maybe we can just mention a few right now while we're talking about this because, and then go and talk about some other things you're doing. I'm getting some calls from people who have never been home with their husband before. (laughs) And their husband (laughs) is having problems coping. They're they're having trouble coping. No surprise. The, The divorce rate in China for the last three months is higher than it's been for the last three years. Oh, how are they going to handle that? They have to stay And that's calm. what they're reporting to us. It's, you know, when people are sequestered and yeah. some of them in small spaces for long periods of time, most of us have weekends, sometimes mm-hmm. several days of holiday in beautiful places. But now we're in our homes without all of our comforts, without work, without structure, without routines, overeating, overdrinking, drugging, and it's a big concern. And it's particularly difficult from my perspective, Barbara, for families. Yeah. You know, kids are social beings and they need to be with other kids and teenagers who are now losing their graduations and their senior proms and so many things that they looked forward to are feeling remarkable stress. And that's, families are systems, they're dynamic systems. If one person is feeling stressed, it's going to be evident to everyone. And your friends are probably doing the very best they can to navigate, but we're in each other's space and we're worried and health is a giant concern. And so people are very, very, very anxious. I mean, I'm hearing from teachers who say they're, they're told to teach the same way they did before. And then they, it, let's be real. They can't do yeah. that. And then you have, I have my granddaughter who's showing me the worksheets she's doing. And uh, I'm like, what is wrong with, uh, we have to look at this world in a different way right now. It's really about the relationships and caring about each other and community. It's humanity. It's but like it's transformation. It's about a very different way of being in the world with people and we can't see it as the same. Um, Mm. And, you know, the good news is there are some wonderful examples of people who are making it work well. There are plenty of heroes that emerge in these kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel remarkably lucky to be connected to a bunch of gifted administrators and teachers and support people because learning and loving has not been canceled at Lindsay Unified School District. Okay, so Lindsay Unified School District is one of those districts that has always been focusing on the learner first, always. And it's a model. You want to just kind of do an overview of Lindsay for people who don't know about it? Sure, and we would invite them to get more information by hitting our website, um, Mm -hmm. by asking good questions. But... I think you've characterized it well. We were in very deep pain about 12 years ago because we had really poor achievement and attendance and we were contributing to the um, dropout rate and gang affiliation and drug and alcohol and pregnancy problems. Tulare County has always been number one or two for teen pregnancies in the state of California. And we got together and we said, obviously, what we're doing is not working well. And we had a a present leader who was a visionary. And we sat together and basically said, let's reinvent education in Lindsay. 
She asked for a fist of five, how many of us would get behind that? And we all looked at each other and said, uh, we're not quite sure what that means, but we'll do that. And we started by a year's study in the community about what parents in our community wanted for their kids. And we asked a bunch of questions like, why do we exist? And how are we going to work together? And what do we believe about learning? And what are our core principles? And what should a graduate look like when they leave our system, which was now called the graduate profile. But in 2006 and seven, when we were asking those questions, none of this language existed. Mm-hmm. We were early pioneers. And we, we gathered all that feedback, recognizing that the community of Lindsay, which is very isolated geographically, linguistically, economically, um, the average educational attainment of parents is fifth grade. 100% of our learners receive free and reduced lunch. Most of our families are connected to agriculture. They're seasonal agricultural farm workers, so they pick fruit. And 50% of our learners come to school not speaking English. So we have some unique challenges. Whoa, I didn't and know yet that. we were quickly moving to a mindset where these are just opportunities and we want to hear what people want for their kids. And when we received the answers to those questions that had good guidance, getting that information, we established what's called the Lindsay Unified Strategic Design, which was adopted by the board in 2009, empowering and motivating for today and tomorrow. This has been the blueprint for the last 12 years about how we do education in Lindsay. And when we think about it, why we exist is to empower and motivate for today and tomorrow. How we're gonna work together are our core values, which are very clear. They've been identified with rubrics that define what excellence looks like in each of those areas. We have very clear beliefs and guiding principles. And we've identified what we call lifelong learning, which is what you should be doing, thinking, and the temperament you should be wearing when you leave our system separate from your academic achievement. This is like you want to marry or have a neighbor or have your kids marry people who have these traits, these lifelong learning traits. And once we established that, we spent a lot of time communicating that to our constituents. A lot of people left. They said, this is going to be too much work. We don't want to do that. We said, no problem. And had high levels of staff turnover that first few years. Now people are coming because the model is well-established. There's very good evidence that it's working well for our learners in any measure, including standard measures. Attendance is at the almost 98th percentile. We're achieving really, really well, making steady progress every year. A third of our learners are going to college before they leave high school. Some will have AA degrees before they get their high school's graduation certificates. They're well-supported in college. Their their success at college post-high school is at the 57th percentile, which means that 57% of them will have bachelor's degrees within four years. There's really good evidence that they're embracing the model. The model is challenging and interesting, but it's working for us. And it's all focused on the strategic design. Well, you know, I, I've followed you for 
And I did talk to your superintendent, Tom Rooney. Appreciate uh, that. He's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> but your whole... We and have I an thought, amazing team. You really have an amazing team and you sent me a lot of the resources and we, we, we need to share some of those on the post that we put with the podcast. Excellent. And also a link to your book, the book that was created by Lindsay. And I'm sure that you wrote a lot of this is uh, beyond reform. Four of us were the authors. Yeah. Your names aren't in here. I didn't I know them. they are in there, right. but they're buried in page somewhere. Stage something. Yeah. Well, all I know is I'm looking through it. Where is the? <laughs> I got to find a bio of Barry in here, and I couldn't. No, find they, it. they won't do that. It's, it's yeah, that's okay. It's a Lindsay that's Unified publication. It is a Lindsay, but it but what it did is understanding that if you get the stakeholders and the parents and everyone involved and understanding that this is this is the goal, and then you gave. The kids have voice and choice. You did everything I talk about, but you did it. <laughs> Still doing it. And, and, and what, one of the things that's left us in such an advantaged position now with the school buildings being closed is that a month ago, if you walked into any of our learning communities, every one of the 4,200 learners there could tell you what they were learning, why they're learning it, why it's relevant to them, what they need to do to demonstrate that they've established proficiency or mastery of the learning and what comes next, which leaves them wanting to come back to school every day because children are naturally curious folks. Well, if you have that kind of mindset and you have technology, which we were fortunate to develop over the course, because one of the core beliefs in technology, and this was in 2007, before you and I had iPhones, by the way. Yes. <laughs> was that all learning would be 24-7 for all learners. How did you do that? I mean, do, do We were you make envisioning sure... the future. And, and at first okay. it meant getting devices to all learners. So in, okay. by, by 2010, um, as a race to the top school, all learners had devices, which is very common in public education now, except that our learners were able to take their devices home because they didn't have devices at home. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as we did that, we recognized in 2014-15 that there wasn't equity because only some of our learners had connectivity at home. And I would drive to work really early and there'd be 60 kids sitting on the lawn of the district office because it was a hotspot. And we mm -hmm. said, this is not consistent with our strategic design and our values. It's not equitable. And we spent two years working out a solution which led to what we call community Wi-Fi. And so we worked with all the big providers, none of whom make any money in Lindsay and none of whom were able to step it up. I'm, I, fortunately, I'm hearing that some of them are doing some really good work now during the pandemic. Um, but they were not helpful to us. Ultimately, we partnered with the city of Lindsay. We put up some big towers and satellites. We became our own internet service provider. 100% oh, of our learners and their families are connected through our servers at Lindsay Unified uh, for free 100% of the time. Oh, now this is big. This is big. Okay. I don't know really any district. I, there's a few others I've heard, but not like this. Not not where you have your you're the service provider. This is what you need now. This is what everyone needs now, and everyone it's what people are struggling with. I wonder if 
as a, a model, we can get this to the state superintendents and get them to see how you how you did this in your district for 4,200 kids and I their families. I think people are paying attention, Barbara, because it's so mm-hmm. relevant right now. And it's allowed all of our learners who are, like you said, they have agency. Uh-huh. They want to learn. They're in charge of their learning. They know mm-hmm. what they need to be learning. All of the learning is in clear developmental progressions which sits inside of a single piece of technology, our learning management system called Empower, which they can access 24-7. They can upload the work that they're doing to demonstrate their proficiency and competence. They can work in groups. They can receive direct instruction from their learning facilitators. They're continuing to learn. They're continuing to develop their lifelong learning skills, and they're doing it with an independence that they've never been forced or encouraged or anticipated to develop because the school buildings are closed indefinitely. But you see, the the thing that's nice about Lindsay is you did this way before. We did this way before. Way before. And now it's it's going to be catch-up time for all these other districts that are not prepared, that don't have connectivity in most of the school and families just looking at you as a model and maybe some strategies for people on how to set this up would be really great. Yes, I know I'm part of a phone call with NGLC Next Generation Learning tomorrow with a district that's struggling with and they're in a they're in urban DC. Oh. Our model here may not be a perfect fit for how you do the technology. I mean, we chose the tallest buildings in Lindsay, we put up satellites, we spent a little money. We knocked on every 10th house and said, can we put a repeater on your house? It's going to use as much electricity as a light bulb does all year long. And they that's said, how you did it? That's how we did it. That's how, oh. that's how it works. And, it, and it's broadband and it's working really well. And it, and it allows parents to connect in oh. Spanish and English. It allows all of our learning facilitators and staff to connect. It's just really, really rich in terms of professional Mm -hmm. learning. So again, when we recognized that our model for delivering professional learning to staff was archaic because it was 10 days a year, you come in, someone gives Mm -hmm. you sit and get, and it may be meaningful or it may not be. We personalized learning for adults and every learning, every adult (laughs) who's also a learner in Lindsay has their own personal learning path. Mm-hmm. Every learner has their personalized learning plan. Every adult has their personalized learning path. It's all managed by the same learning management system. I'm taking a course in servant leadership right now. Oh, I, will, I will be certified as a servant leader by the Robert <laughs> Greenleaf Society. I can do that because it was established years ago. And it doesn't change when we're sequestered to my home office up here. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gives me a little bit more time to focus on that work. So there are, I mean, this is terrible, the coronavirus. It's terrible what's happening. But what is happening for me is I'm connecting more than ever to people because there is more time and looking at different ways that they can deliver or connect and collaborate with other colleagues. Plus, a good one is my granddaughter and I are connecting and she's doing, (laughs) 
I have a website that I created with resources. And she said, you don't have anything from kids. <laughs> so she's doing, That's she's terrific. doing, she's doing reviews. She's for building me. out your website. <laughs> and she's only 12. Well, she but says, she's totally capable of doing that. I know. And if you provide the opportunity to have a voice and a choice and do the things that you do and you give everyone the access. It's amazing. Also, you can't, you carry a moral imperative that connecting with people is really essential. And in Lindsay, we, we want to ensure that every learner is known, seen, and heard. So there's a lot of reaching out, but fortunately the technology does allow us to connect with very many people. I love that. Known, seen, and heard. Known, seen, and heard. Everybody every, everybody needs to feel known, seen, and heard. That is so beautiful the way you're doing it. We definitely have to share this out and let people know. Now, you're, the program that you're working on is called Lindsay Leads. Is that? So Lindsay Leads was organized in 2016 when we were inundated with people coming to visit and seeing what's going on. So the word began to get out that this, not interestingly enough, not so much in California. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Our progressive state may not be as progressive as we think. There's some really good pockets and we've had deep partnerships with Summit Public Schools in the Bay Area and very deep pocket, deep partnerships with Vista Public Schools in San Diego. But absent that, most of our partnerships are in Pennsylvania, Maine, the Dakotas, West mm-hmm. Virginia, all sort of Colorado. And we receive about 300 visitors a year. And wow. part of my job as the director of advancement and, and external stakeholder communications is to, is to facilitate those, those visits. And we want them to be as personalized as they can be. And when we recognize that the needs were getting bigger than just being able to host people all the time, um, we received some very nice support from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and CZI let, let us organize a team of learners, 72 learners at the time, of staff, which included both classified staff, bus drivers, custodians, librarians, aides, secretaries, learning facilitators, which are teachers in our system, um, and administrators. And we spent two years developing this team, which we call Lindsay Leads, so that these folks can serve as consultants, cheerleaders, coaches, and help people develop their models, not the Lindsay model, but their models Mm -hmm. based on the uncompromisingly learner-centered model that we developed in Lindsay. And so now we now have this incredible team of people. We, yeah. we Subsequently, we added parents and we added board members. So right now, if you are representing a district, Barbara, who has an interest in doing this work, you can call us and we can get job-alike people in any of the related fields. Although our, our best consultants are learners. I'm just going to say. <laughs> and, we take, gonna... and we take them everywhere. So wherever we go now... I just unfortunately canceled a large trip to South Dakota. We have a deep partnership with four districts that are doing amazing work in North mm-hmm. Dakota um, and South Dakota through the Bush Foundation. And we were taking learners with us because, and the learners get paid for their work. Oh, I love that. And they get lifelong credit for their work. And they have developed what typically might have been called pen pals. So now they're virtual pals. 
so that they're developing teams at all of our partner districts for how to be good ambassadors, how to be consultants, how to tell their story. And I'm really hoping that at some point you'll do a podcast with, with one of our learners or a couple of our learners because oh, they're in yes. the best position to talk about how it's impacted them. And some of them have been to other schools and then came to Lindsay. So they have that ability to co- compare and contrast their experiences. And it's so rich. It's so I'm inspiring. Cute. I've seen several of the videos of them and, and they've told their, told their story. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to close this pretty soon, but I have just a, one thing, well, several things. One is this is a perfect time to share Lindsay Leeds virtually because you need virtual visits. We're, you have we're, all to- of that. we're totally prepared to do that. I know you are. Yeah. So that's another thing we can put on a link to yeah, let people perfect. know about yeah, that. Yeah, we've done a bunch of consulting virtually. We do. We are very comfortable with the technology and it works mm-hmm. really quite well. I'm blown away. One, I didn't know all the things that you were doing. <laughs> Thank you. And then just knowing that you're there and uh, I think we need to just make sure that California knows more about you. <laughs> we have to get you to come for one of those visits. I would definitely. Cause, well, because it would be such a pleasure to to, to meet you personally it. and for you to see what's going on. Oh well, not right now, but <laughs> clearly not it, now. <laughs> Maybe in the uh, fall. Yeah, in fact, you just got over, uh, you know, this terrible disease. Yes, I am right. clearly recovered, but yes, it was very difficult. Well, I am so glad you made it and that you're Thank okay you. and. You. And that you were, you know, had this time to spend with me. I just am honored. This I, is I so appreciate you reaching out. I've really enjoyed the book. Um, I'll look forward to hearing the podcast. And any way we can continue this dialogue and help other people move toward learner-centered models, we're deep in. Oh, well, kindred folks here, Barry. How nice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Barbara. Thanks. I really appreciate the work you do. And I'll look forward to uh, connecting us in the future. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Barry Sommer. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with the podcast about Barry, which is on my Rethinking Learning website. You'll find resources, links to Lindsay Leeds, and so much more about his story there. You can subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net to receive announcements, updates. And I've also added a lot of information about my book, Define Your Why, like guiding questions and other resources. So I hope you subscribe to my podcast. You know, we're going to be sharing a lot of ideas and stories while we're staying home during this crisis. Now we need each other more than ever. All of our stories matter. Keep sharing your story and please stay healthy and safe.